0: Welcome to the 3D podcast. My name is Sean Coleman and I am pleased and happy to welcome back uh, our my uh, co-host Justin Lewis. Justin, it's been a bit. I know you've been busy, man, but welcome back. How you been, buddy?
1: I'm I'm making it, man. I'm I'm just glad to be back. I've I've missed being on here and talking with you each week and
0: uh, I'm excited uh, to get rolling with you again. Well, man, there's plenty to be excited about, and I agree. I, I definitely enjoy the weekly conversations that we've been able to have. But, man, how about this? We, as Grizzlies fans, finally had the opportunity to say, Lady Luck smiled down on us. Obviously, the NBA draft lottery was tonight. The Grizzlies, in, in a unbelievably heart-wrenching <laughs> pick of lottery balls, um, or, or however you want to call it, card revealings, the Grizzlies got the number two pick in the draft. Just in initial reactions, man, how how you feeling right now?
1: Let me let me tell you the story of my night. So I'm I'm playing ball um, down here for the first time since I've moved. Um, my students have just assumed that because I'm almost thirty now that I can't hoop, and so I had to go out there tonight and show them that I still got it. And so I I had recorded the uh, the lottery, and I told you no spoilers. I was coming after you. Um, and so I come home, I I put it on and I'm sitting here and I fast forward through, um, up until the, about the 10th pick, because I know that we could possibly fall to that. So when we don't pick 10, I'm like, all right, here we go. And then I see number nine go and I am just like, oh my gosh, we're about to pick eight. And then we're not eight. And I, and I just stand up in my, in, in the, in the middle of the living room by myself. I'm like, and I'm on the phone with my fiance at the time and she just, she doesn't care. But I'm just like, oh, my gosh, we're going to pick the top four. And then I'm just waiting. And then he goes to commercial break, and he comes back. And I'm like, all right, we're going to pick four. That's just It's just a Grizzlies thing to do. We're picking four. And then it was the Lakers. I was just like, no way. And then it was the Knicks. And I started jumping up and down. I was like, all right, it's too good to be true. There's no way we're picking one. And then we didn't. But I am beyond excited because I don't I don't know where you stood, whether the best-case scenario was convey or get in the top three. but. I, the top two, I would say, might have ended up being the best case scenario for us. And I'm completely elated.
0: Well, I completely agree. And, and the reason why is because I, I actually when I was ranking the overall outcomes, it obviously it, for me, it went first, second, third, convey, fourth, eighth um, as far as the options go. But a, a similar story to you, so so my, my in-laws had just come back from a trip, and, and my wife is used to my random excitement, God bless her soul, she's a saint when it comes to my sports fandom, um, but my mother-in-law was here, and I was watching the draft on my phone at first while we were uh, meeting outside with her, and then from there I came in and watched when I saw we didn't get the eighth pick and our um, names hadn't been called. Why I jumped up and down and the expression on my mother-in-law's face as she looked at my um, wife, she was like, is he like this during all the sports games and stuff? And my wife looked at him and said, yes. And I was like, you darn right. I used another word that I've never used in front of her before, but hey, it worked out well. (laughs) And she excused it. So, but anywho, besides my flaws, getting back to the subject at hand, the Memphis Grizzlies are now... The owners of the number two pick in the 2019 NBA draft. I'll tell you this, um, you know, it, it's amazing the story, the potential storylines that are there, but the realistic storylines that are there as well. If you want to look at it, the Grizzlies now have been one pick away from potentially having Luka Doncic and Zion Williamson in a Grizzlies uniform. Don't torture yourself looking at it that way, but it's just amazing how close you can be. Instead, we wind up with Jaron Jackson Jr and now an avenue to pick another building block for the rebuilding. And, and so, Justin, you know, let's focus on it. Obviously, Zion – well, actually, I'll get your thoughts on that first. Zion likely headed to New Orleans. What are your thoughts on that as far as that potential setup,
1: I, You know, I, I don't jump to the conclusion that it's a 100% sold fact that Zion is going to – be picked first. Um, is it more likely than not? Absolutely. And is it going to happen? I would have to put my money on that it is. But I wouldn't be shocked that if somebody like David Griffin um, evaluated the talent that was out there and decided, hey, long term, there might be a better talent uh, and a better fit for this team. Now, for a small market like New Orleans, they need something marketable like Zion Williamson, and it just puts them in a in a weird spot. Um, I think it comes down to, does this make a difference with Anthony Davis and and all those kind of deals? You know, it's just, it's nuts. Um, did you see Zion's face? He didn't look too thrilled that New Orleans won the lottery.
0: Oh, that was my response in our group chat over at Grizzly Bear Blues, was that the first thing, when when um the, the reporter, I forget who it was, that asked him, your thoughts on p- playing in New Orleans. He was like, well, it's not a guarantee yet. We'll see. I It's not a guarantee until my name's called. That's the type of answer that tells you I, I, he wasn't too excited. The thing I will ask, though, is this, um, Justin. You bring up the point about, okay, long-term, you evaluate the talent. You may not have – a sure thought that Zion long-term has the best NBA career. That's fine. That should be a part of your process. But how much does it play into your decision-making? Okay, don't get too complex with this. That that applies to New Orleans with Zion. Go with the obvious. Go. I can live if Zion doesn't work out as best as we thought. I can't necessarily live if I choose someone over him getting too creative and he winds up being the superstar a lot think he will be for New Orleans and for Memphis with John Morant as we've seen the reaction be, how much does it play into the decision? Just keep it simple. Go with what makes sense. How much does that play into your decision? I think
1: it to be a big part of it. Like they've got a month to, to either overthink it or just, or, or just do what would make sense, do what's right. And for, New Orleans, it's it's take Zion because you're right. You don't want to you don't want to outthink yourself, and then he ends up being um, just an absolute stud. And then if you're Memphis, I think John Morant is the obvious number two, uh, and you don't want to overthink that um, and and regret uh, taking somebody else because you overthought it.
0: And just in sticking with you know the fact that Zion you know has. Um, you know, is going to land in New Orleans. You know, all of a sudden, when you look at it, it's amazing how much transition the Southwestern division has gone through. Um, obviously, the Spurs transitioning away from their veteran, you know, trio that was historic, um, and but still being a playoff contender and, and having a good group of young players. They're still developing players like no other team is. Houston, obviously, still having Harden in. Um, Paul, but now you've got Dallas, who's got Luka and Porzingis, another high pick in this, um, or excuse me, excuse me, uh, their pick went to Atlanta, but some cap space to make another big move in free agency. Now you have New Orleans with Zion, and even if they don't keep Davis, his haul that's coming into place, just how much does it amaze you how quickly things have changed over the past year and concern you for the future of the Grizzlies, you know, all the other teams, we've had some luck on our end, but some teams arguably have had even more luck as far as our division goes.
1: Can you say that anybody that had more luck than Dallas? I mean, <laughs> they, they're they looking pretty uh, going forward, and it's just it's what the Grizzlies are used to, right? Like, the Southwest division has never been something easy to navigate through. Uh, maybe this past year was the easiest for Houston to get through, but Southwest is always putting in, three to four teams in the playoffs at times. Um, so, I mean, it's just – it is what we're used to kind of as Grizzlies fans. Like, nothing's ever going to come easy for us, and, and we're just going to have to grind our way through a, a difficult division again.
0: Man, this is why you've been missed. An excellent point there. You're exactly correct. It's, you know, the Grizzlies have always, you know, been well. You know, it's done them well. The, the solid competition that they see it basically is a fourth of our – Um, or fifth of our uh, schedule each year, our Southwest opponents. You know, it'll be amazing to see um, how that progresses over the next few years. But obviously a big development, um, quite a a fascinating night with the smaller markets. So the fact that the Grizzlies and the um, uh, New Orleans were able to get uh, the top picks with New York and LA being right behind us, but let's focus on the Grizzlies. So, Number two pick in the 2019 draft. I say we're in the catbird seat because this is really where the draft starts. Everybody knows it's very likely Zion goes first, but now you've got the Grizzlies here at the number two pick. Let's start out with the big debate in place, if it even is a debate. You've got the number two pick with John Morant and R.J. Barrett. Justin, tell me why Bobo or Cam Reddish is the obvious pick here. Okay um, aside. When you look at Morant and Barrett, where which way do you lean and what do you consider?
1: I, I I don't just lean, I jump all the way to the side of Morant. Um I'm I'm concerned that Elliot Perry, our our representative um tonight spoke praises of RJ Barrett. Um and then that um one of our new front office pieces has canadian ties and rj barrett's from canada Um, so i'm a little concerned that that idea is going to be tossed around a bit but here here's what i know about the nba and that is you've got to have a good point guard to to win the nba we we're moving on from conley at some point Um, rj barrett is not a point guard we're not signing a big free agent um point guard to come in here um so why would we not take somebody that could potentially be the point guard of the future to throw lobs over and over and over again to Jaron Jackson Jr.? And, and somebody that has a game similar to the style of uh, Russell Westbrook, but maybe not as selfish and as um, detrimental to his team. Um, I, I just think that Moran is a no-brainer.
0: I could probably, I feel we could have a debate. In terms of individual skill, that you could have a debate, um, uh, Barrett is, is is has a higher individual ceiling than Morant. But in today's game, I agree with you hundred and ten percent. It is a it's a game that's going more towards the guard. It, it's extending from the basket, and it's heavily heavily reliant on movement and pick and roll. With Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Morant in place, the Grizzlies have one of the best young pick and roll combinations out there. They also have one of the best combo post players and guards potentially in the league. You know, over the next decade, I'm not saying John Morant's going to be in you know all, every year All Star. I don't know if he's going to has you know true All NBA potential. But I do feel there is one thing that Morant offers that makes him very valuable in a small market. It's his elite passing ability. I know that there are questions about Morant's ability to score, but he can get to the basket and he also has that elite ability to be able to improve the offense just by finding different players. R.J. Barrett can do great things with the ball in his hand. John Morant can do great things with the ball in his hand, plus help others do great things by putting it in, the ball in their hands where they can score. I'll take the latter over the former any day of the week. You could look at DeLon Wright, and you could possibly see a floor for John Morant, but I think that Ber- Morant can develop a shooting ability that will make him very effective for when teams try to break him down and make his passing lanes harder to find. Defense is, is a work in progress, but at the end of the day, when you look at the league as a whole, and you look at John Morant and R.J. Barrett, which player can make your offense better on a consistent basis? And I clearly think that that's John Morant over R.J. Barrett. When you look at John Morant's game, Justin, you see the strengths. You see the passing. Where do you think he needs to work on his game? And do you feel like he can work at it enough to where he could be an all-star level player?
1: Um, not too many players will really. recognize. No. All star wise for the defensive play, or else Tony Allen would have been an all star. So, I don't, while his defense would need to improve because that's the staple of of what we do in Memphis. And you're, as a point guard, you're going up against some of the best players in the league and you got to be able to defend. I do like that we're looking at a a possibility of having a point guard with some size um, and a a backcourt of of Wright and uh, Morant beside each other. Sounds fun. But I would say his uh, his just his three-point shooting. And I, I think that um, he can uh, work on shooting enough to where he is somebody that uh, can put up the numbers to be an all-star on a regular basis.
0: I think that there's three tier. I think what sets guards apart nowadays in the NBA is you, you either have to be elite at the three tiers of scoring on one of those tiers of scoring, or you need to be effective from all three. By all three, what I mean is getting to the basket, the mid-range, and from three-point land. You know, we see it in the Warriors and Trailblazers series. C.J. McCollum, for instance, yeah, he can get to the basket, but his mid-range game and three-game is definitely there. Damian Lillard is an unbelievable long-distance shooter. Klay Thompson and Steph Curry are unbelievable long-distance shooters. John Morant has the ability to be effective. At all three, I think. I don't ever think he's going to be elite from mid-range or three-point line. I do think he can get to the basket very well for a guy his size. But scoring is something that you can definitely work on. And his effort seems to be there. Mechanics don't seem to be that off. I think that Morant has enough natural talent to where you can work with him on his shooting. And that actually is an encouraging thing. He wants to put the work in. It's a skill that you can help develop. Um, but but I do agree with you. It's nice to have a point guard in place with Morant if you're picking who can really improve the offense overall. And, yes, defense is something you could teach as well. So kind of switching this a little bit more towards the draft as a whole. Justin, you obviously have the difference between Morant and Barrett that you could consider at number two. But is that what the decision comes down to for you? is it only picking between those two players or do you consider other options as well
1: there's only one option i consider and that is if we get some overwhelming offer um for the the two pick and we don't go too far back um meaning we get we go to we trade with the lakers say so they want to move up to 2 and they want to take mike Con- mike conley or um Cleveland wants to move up, and and they send us. There's not really anything in Cleveland that I want. Um, I, if Darius Garland is the only one that I'm interested in, um, because I, it, his was just a meniscus injury, and so I'm not that concerned about um, his knees and, and health-wise. But I, I do believe that Darius Garland has the potential to maybe have the best NBA career out of this class. Um, He just didn't get a chance to show his game last year in college because of the knee injury. So the only thing I would consider would be moving back to maybe four with the Lakers if they send us something like um, Ball and um, the four and Ingram or Ingram and Horrors or some combination of a couple of their young guys um, and the four pick and we take Garland and roll. I don't think I'd be too upset about that.
0: I can certainly see that. You know, what it comes down to for me is is that, you know, is Darius Garland – is the difference between him and John Morant that, that – I'm not saying that John Morant is certain, but I am saying that he's a pretty low-risk prospect. Garland, I agree. That meniscus injury, I believe, is truly something that is um, – <sighs> that is something that is – being over overstated, I think it's something that you can overcome. But it comes down to also the big question is this, is that do you prefer the dominant scoring potential of Garland or do you prefer the high floor of Morant due to his ability to pass and to develop his scoring? And I think that I still lean toward Morant a little bit. You know, um, we were talking, I've seen some you know p- potential scouting reports and things like that on both players. And an interesting name that keeps coming up, for both Morant and Garland is Jeff Teague, um, the former all-star point guard with the uh, Atlanta Hawks. And, and, you know, he's uh, obviously with the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Indiana Pacers. Now, when you hear that name, you don't get too excited. But that potentially out of this draft could be a big steal and it could be effective. You know, it, 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 if that's a floor for either player, that's excellent. But I agree with you. I think that if you could get a future first or if you can get enough of a haul from... The Lakers, for them to be – for you to drop to four, for them to move up to get Moran or Barrett, I think that makes some sense. Do I see the Lakers doing it? No. I actually think the Lakers may go with a more sure prospect um, in DeAndre Hunter um, as someone they could focus on. But I do agree with you. Do you see anybody below four offering a big enough package for the Grizzlies to move back past four in this draft, Justin? I
1: uh- no, um, the only team that I talked to, which I regret saying this because you never talked to this team, is the Celtics. If, if they want to, they want to. They're expecting Kyrie Irving to be gone, and they should. Uh, they're going to need a point guard, and we've got one on the market available, and we've got the number two pick. You want Mike Conley and the number two pick? Send us uh, your pick and Jason Tatum, and then have a nice day something like that but i just don't think there's a package out there that any team is going to be willing to offer in a uh in this draft that we're going to really listen very long
0: and that's the next thing to to really consider here you know for overall for the grizzlies what makes the most sense and i get where you're coming from um to potentially put Mike Conley together with the number two pick. I think it's worth exploring. You certainly explore that. I do think, though, that's a limited, that limits your teams that you can deal with. And here's the reason why. At the number two pick, I think the majority of teams are seeing Morant as the likely selection there. So does it really make sense for a team to potentially trade for Conley and another point guard? I know that you know it's fine to have you know good guards, but it would seem like that you know the a team that it would make more sense for a team to trade for number two and Conley if they felt that they were getting Barrett. Do you think that the fact that Morant being a point guard and pairing him with Conley, do you think that that actually could be a detriment in trying to pair the number two pick and Conley together in potential train talks, Justin? Well,
1: no, I think I think. What you said was is the important part. It's going to be a team that's in love with Barrett um, and New York sitting in a position that they're probably assuming that that's who they're going to that they're going to get. Um, and so, you know, you could you could possibly see teams trade with New York to move to the three and, and take Barrett if if New York's not in love with them, but they'd be dumb to do that. Um, and so, I think it's a team that just is madly in love with R. Yeah, RJ Barrett. Um, and they need a point guard as well, then I think that is a marriage that could happen. But I just don't see too many teams out there that can offer enough um, for us to to move the two-pick.
0: And the other thing that I think this does is that I truly think at the end of the day – what makes the most sense is is separating Conley and the number two pick. I think that's the avenue that's going to get you the most value um, in terms of the Grizzlies who need as much talent here as possible. But I think this also, since the Grizzlies landed the number two pick, it does kind of strengthen the potential of keeping Conley. If you want to really give John Morant the best chance to be able to develop and maximize his potential – Playing him a year with Conley would do wonders, and it especially works since you, you know now want to convey next year. I don't mm-hmm. think that's best for the Grizzlies. I think that they need to eventually trade Conley. But could you see that potentially being an avenue that they take, keeping Conley for a year as a mentor towards um, Moran?
1: It's not an avenue I would be upset with um, because we do need to convey next year um, unless the package that we are offered for Conley is just completely overwhelming. I like the idea because Conley was playing at the peak peak of his talent at the end of the year, um, and if we can get that from a year of a healthy Conley with uh, Morant and and Jaron and Jonas like and Dylan Brooks coming back, like I think this team conveys and conveys easy um, next year, and I think that should be a, a goal. But um, yeah, especially defensively, how to run a team, how to lead a team um uh, Morant could benefit from from Conley more so than maybe any other guard in the league.
0: So we've talked about obviously the potential, you know, picks that are there for choosing between players. You know, we've talked about, you know, what would we consider for player for people trading up uh to to get the number two pick. The next thing, though, obviously, is Conley himself. You mentioned it yourself. You said that he's coming off the peak of his offensive career in the month of March um, this year. So I think it makes sense, though, in the end of the day to trade him. Still an offensive, you know, um, an effective offensive player, two years left on his contract. My question is this. Now that you've looked into the number two pick in this year's draft, what becomes your focus in a potential trade package for Conley? Is it something focused on the future in picks? Do you still try to get the best possible young player that's currently in the NBA? Do you focus on shooting? What direction do you think the Grizzlies should go as far as assessing the Mike Conley market and the return they should get?
1: Man, I, I don't know if you're necessarily looking for any certain thing. You're probably not looking for somebody that's going to play the power forward necessarily. But other than that, I think all bets are off as far as, is what you're looking for because there's no guarantee that that Valanciunas stays past next season if he comes back next season, which we, we believe that he will. Um, and, and nobody else's position on the team is, uh, as a starter or a role player is, like, locked in. So um, there's going to be offers on the table that you just look at the best talent that you're bringing back and then you work with that, not maybe necessarily filling a specific need. They look at a team like the Magic they made the playoffs without a point guard. Like what could they have done with Mike Conley? Um and they've got some young guys that maybe we could, you know, look at. Um Utah's blown their chance to get in Conley. Um but there's teams out there that I think are a Conley away from, from being a legitimate threat. It's just what package is going to be the best for you altogether rather than maybe looking to fill a need.
0: And I think when it comes to Conley, I think the East really becomes um, interesting. Um, you know, you could see him going to the Lakers, you know, the Suns. I, I agree with you. I don't see Utah now having the package to get him. But the East really becomes interesting. You know, if, Ka- if um, Kawhi, or excuse me, Kyrie leaves Boston, you know, Philly can make sense. Indiana could make sense. A bunch of teams in the East really could make sense as far as options go. So your thought process is is to get the best talent um, you can. You know, Mark King asked me the other day on the Locked on Grizzlies podcast, do you put emphasis on picks, multiple picks, or players? So you're going for the best talent, Justin. Who do you put more stock in? The chance to make multiple picks with the Grizzlies current roster situation or getting the best young player that you can within reason in the NBA right now?
1: I uh, I put more stock in the best young player, I think. Um, best young player, you've seen the kid in the NBA. You've seen what he can be. Um, you never know what a kid's going to be coming out of the draft. Um, so I, I would lean towards um, the sure thing more than the risk.
0: So looking at the Grizzlies roster and assuming – let's just keep it simple. Assuming that they do take Morant at number two probably in the foreseeable future, you now have John Morant, you've got DeLone Wright, you've got Kyle Anderson, and you've got Jaron Jackson Jr., who are definitely there. Conley brings back, you know, potential picks. That four, that becomes your core four, for lack of a better term, for the next few years. What do you like about that Grizzlies roster? And what do you feel is the biggest weakness that they should focus on filling to surround those players with talent to become a playoff contender again.
1: The biggest weakness in that is that there's like no uh, perimeter shooting in that, in that group. Um, that sounds familiar.
0: Biggest, that sounds really familiar.
1: Yeah. The biggest strength is length. Like you got two point guards with length. Um, and then you've got Kyle Anderson has got length and you've got got that length. And, um, that's always good for defense and switching and, and doing those kind of things. So I think it it sounds it sounds like that with those four, your your future is uh defense and no perimeter shooting.
0: Well, I mean, and I agree with you hundred and ten percent. I will say this, I think that we would lead the league in passes and half court sets with uh um, um Anderson, uh, Morant, and Wright. You know, I think that those are that is a good four to have, but I agree with you. If you could take Conley and get effective scoring, a front-court wing who could play the the stretch four, and then another guard to put with the right and Morant who could be a true shooter, I think that's what you're looking for. But another avenue to really focus on that is potentially you know, free agency. And when you look at the Grizzlies' current financial situation, Justin, and the fact that, again, we now are starting to have some luck in the draft – how much of an emphasis do you feel that freeing up money as soon as possible plays into decisions on Conley, on Avery Bradley, on Chandler Parsons? How do you think the Grizzlies should look at their money situation? Should it be more towards the future or the present?
1: Um, well, your your free agent class this year is um, nice, but not attainable for us um next year you've got some restricted free agents that we could throw money at um and we got some money coming out the books on that year so i think with morant and jackson and if you make the right coaching hire we become somewhat of a a, um, desirable location for free agents and so i think we should as soon as we can be ready to to have the money to spend for sure
0: and you hit the nail on the head, uh, you know, as we get to um, uh, another point here on the, on the 3&D podcast, again, back with Justin Lewis um, this week, the coaching search. We've all kind of been waiting, been patient. We've heard some names that have been out there. It's kind of refreshing to see the Grizzlies taking a slow approach, uh, you know, an approach that, you know, kind of encompasses, you know, looking at all the information that they can. But Justin, your thoughts on landing the number two pick, Does this significantly improve the Grizzlies' outlook? Does it improve how a coach views them as a product to attract maybe bigger names out there that are available?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the fact that um, us and the Timberwolves are the only openings left, Um, you know, there's only 30 NBA jobs, and now there's only two available. Um, So these, these coaches that really want to be a head coach in the NBA, like, the leverage for them is running low and with the number two pick you, you maybe want to coach in place before you make that pick but with two cornerstone pieces going forward um, and a and a solid fan base I think we may start to look like a place that people would want to go for once.
0: You know we just saw it with Cleveland the fact that they were interviewing who they were in um, all that, looking at the different um, names that we heard from them, then all of a sudden out of nowhere, they get Beeline from Michigan and everybody's just kind of like, you know, wow, that's a really good hire. Do you think now this puts the Grizzlies in the position to where they potentially can pull the rabbit out of the hat? They kind of, you know, out of nowhere bring in a name that makes a lot of sense that nobody really um, paired with Memphis beforehand?
1: Man, I, I don't know. Like, Maybe I I don't know what the current front office is looking for in a coach. What they want, um, I don't know if they are going to change route based on the way the lottery played out tonight. If their candidate list is enhanced because of it, or you know, I, would it surprise me if a, if a name hit the table that hasn't leaked out yet? No, I don't think it would. And I, you know, somebody like a Tony Bennett or um, Jay Wright, like I'd be, I'd be all right with that, um, but you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't really know.
0: So I think what you could take from the, you know the coaching names that we've seen, Alec, Alec Jensen, um, the European coach. I can never say his last name correctly. Saronis is his first name. I think it's uh, Juvakankis. I, I'm I may be wrong on that. And then of course Jaron Collins. You know, obviously the development of Jaron Jackson Jr. with Jensen offensive spacing. Uh, with um, 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 Saronis and then also um, uh, um, Jaron Collins, you know, his success as a um, assistant with Golden State. But the big thing that we really haven't heard from is one that some people thought may make some sense. A previous NBA head coach, Justin, in the past, you've given your thoughts about what you would prefer from a head coach. Has that changed based off the names that you've seen the Grizzlies go after?
1: I, I tweeted at Joe Molinax when they started releasing some of the names that we interviewed, and I told him, and I said, I'm actually not upset with a single one of these interviews. Um, so I think I maybe I've changed a little bit on that, but I'd still like to see a, a solid head coach with previous NBA experience come in. Yeah, but I, I don't want to do that just for the sake of doing that. If I mean, Jensen, I, I'd be okay with. Um, Collins. He plays the position that, or he played the position that Jaron plays, you know, and and would be able to develop him as well. And he would um, hopefully bring that that ball movement that Golden State, you know, plays with to here. Uh, I think he'd have the right players for that as well. And so none of these candidates so far are somebody that's like, oh, why are we doing that? Like I've actually been happy with them so far.
0: And, Justin, the other question that I'll ask is this, is that when it comes to the type of coach, um, coaching background, coaching philosophy that, that you feel um, makes sense in Memphis, now that we kind of have a better understanding of, you know, who will be here and what direction we'll be looking for with this roster, where, what stands out to you as being the most important thing for a head coach to focus on, the development of Jaron, an offensive game plan, an offensive guy who can do X's and O's well, or a defensive guy who can maximize Jaron's ability on defense, Kyle's ability, and you know maybe help ja, if that's to pick help him become a good defensive player. Which direction do you want to coach to to really focus on um, at the helm of the Grizzlies?
1: At the helm, I want an offensive guy, an X's and O's offensive guy. You hire a lead assistant who is a defensive specialist, and then you've got another assistant coach who so his only job is the development of. Jackson um I think that is the way that we've got to build um our staff going forward, no doubt,
0: and as we're wrapping up here on the three and d podcast so uh, Justin, we know the next move that that's big on you know our plate, obviously the two next big moves it's getting a head coach obviously before draft night um and then from there on draft night, you know who will we pick. So the thing that I'll end with on this uh, on this edition of the 3DM podcast circles back to Conley. When do you think is the ideal time for the Grizzlies to trade him? Should it be draft night? Or should it be when you potentially have more options available to trade him to once free agency plays out? Um, I think draft night is the...
1: The night to do it, the time to do it. Um, teams seem to um, get desperate on that night and and make more of the the bigger moves on that night. Um, I, I mean, I don't know too. It just because you don't know the shakeout of you know uh, D'Angelo Russell's uh, free agency or uh, what Kyrie Irving's going to do. Who's going to New York? Who's going to Brooklyn? Um, So maybe it's one of those where it was better for us to wait because nobody wants to go to L.A. to play with LeBron. And so the Lakers get desperate and and make us an offer for um, probably then. So now that I'm thinking through that, I I think I'd have to go with uh, free agency starts, let things shake out, and uh, teams get desperate because free agency didn't fall the way they wanted. And so now they've got to make an offer for Mike for them to be relevant.
0: And that is, I think, a good point to, to to really end on. That's the true value of the Grizzlies having luck go their way tonight with getting the number two pick. You know, if you land, if you didn't, if you conveyed, or you landed number eight, you get a you know you get an okay player. Um, you get you get a you know potentially a role player. It's hard to see him as a star player, so on and so forth. But you get the number two pick and you potentially get a guy in John Morant who likely does have a, you know, projectable future. His career arc probably is near Conley, maybe even above that. Now it puts the Grizzlies in a great position to really be able to have more leverage when it comes to trading Conley. Let an offer come to them instead of them being desperate and having to find an offer that, you know, will make sense. If it's draft night, great. Make someone come and pay what you really want. If you want to wait till free agency, that's fine as well. Let the market develop to where there's more suitors. That drives the price up. And the third thing, now you have full reason. You have a very logical reason to, if nothing comes your way, keep Conley. Make a surprise playoff run. I don't think we're a playoff team, but at the very least be competitive to where you can convey next year and you can help Morant develop by having Conley be his mentor and play with him. At the end of the day, I think they do right by Conley and trade him. But I do think this puts the Grizzlies in the position to where they now have the leverage to give them a better chance of getting a true return that will really, really, along with you know, potentially Morant, make this rebuild, get off to a better start than anybody could have imagined. Justin, do you have any final thoughts from tonight, or in general, um, as we wrap up this edition of the Three and D Pod? No, I'm just I'm
1: just excited that uh, while we didn't get number one and, and luck wasn't completely in our favor, um, the second best option played out for us, um, and that's something that we're not used to as Grizz fans. So it's, it's going to be exciting uh, next month as we get to play with mock drafts and. Uh, and drool over our John Moran highlight videos on
0: YouTube at night. Man, don't worry about it. I'm going to sit there and be stiff. I'm going to be coming up with all these different trade scenarios where we trade the number two back to get Grant Williams, Jordan Bone, and uh, Admiral Schofield. I'm just going to be just fine. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In this time of the Memphis Tigers doing everything that they can, getting the Grizzlies three Tennessee Vols, how how could you go wrong? Justin, I'll actually hold off one second. I do want to get your thoughts on this. Do you potentially think that this is one of the best weeks in Memphis history with the fact landing the number two pick plus the success of the Tigers in recruiting?
1: I think that uh, landing the number two pick was very, very important for the Grizzlies franchise because they were about to be completely and totally overshadowed by the University of Memphis. They were going to lose season ticket holders to the University of Memphis because at the end of the day, this city cares most about University of Memphis basketball. And if the Grizzlies were headed for a season where there was no hope, there was nothing for them to show up for, and the Tigers are about to put out the product that they're going to put out, the Grizzlies were going to be in trouble financially as far as putting butts in seats. But I think this has an opportunity for them to stay at least on par with the Tigers. I believe the Tigers are probably going to sell out most games and the Grizzlies aren't but they have a chance to at least be in the conversation and remain relevant in the city rather than just completely being not cared about.
0: And that's the thing, you know, that we'll end on, is that when it comes to the setting of Memphis itself, basketball still remains above and beyond, you know, the the, the true passion of this city. And for a city that over the past decade has gone through a lot of tribulation, a lot of trials, both with the Grizzlies here recently and the Tigers, especially over the past two or three years, seeing how things have developed over the past 12 months. Some of it luck, some of it smart decisions, but seeing this city finally have things go their way, um, you know, to to where they're becoming, you know, nationally relevant again, I think it's a wonderful, wonderful development, and it's going to be a lot of fun to see it play out over the next few years. My name is Sean Coleman. As always, thank you for joining us for Justin Lewis, we will see you next week here on the three and d podcast.